This is WMPG. My name is Dr. Anne, and this is Safe Space, a live forum for courageous conversations. Tonight is the first in a new series on yoga and healing, and I'm going to be speaking with Amy Weintraub about yoga for depression. I want to let you know two extra things tonight. The first is that this is a very unusual interview. For the first time, Safe Space Radio is actually going to be a whole hour, which means in the second half hour, we're going to have an actual yoga for depression class with master teacher Amy Weintraub. And I also just want to let you know about upcoming shows in the series. Next week on December 12th, I'll be interviewing Michael Lee on yoga therapy. The following week, December 19th, Dave Emerson on yoga for PTSD. And after that, I'll be interviewing Bo Forbes on yoga for anxiety. And then lastly, we'll close out with an interview on yoga for sexual abuse survivors. But in terms of tonight, I'm going to be interviewing Amy Weintraub, who has an MFA in creative writing and is currently the founder and director of the Life Force Yoga Healing Institute, which trained yoga teachers and health professionals internationally. She's the author of two books, Yoga for Depression and Yoga Skills for Therapists. And the Life Force Yoga Protocol is now used by healthcare providers worldwide. Amy is involved in ongoing research on the effects of yoga on mood. And if you're interested, you can go to her website at www.yogafordepression.com. Amy, I, I know this subject is, is very dear to your heart, and you come to it from a personal connection. So I'd love to start by asking you to tell me about depression in your own life. Um, well, yes. Um, I was clinically depressed probably for many, many years uh, uh, and on antidepressants. I was probably undiagnosed for many years before I was actually treated and uh, after giving birth to my child, and uh, I was eventually put on antidepressants about a year after that, and was on them for about nine years, and had some major depressive episodes in which I couldn't put two shoes in a shoebox, or, you know, would lose things, uh, really cognitively impaired. People who have depression know what that's like. Uh, you have trouble retrieving words. You're just really it affects not just your mood but your whole thinking process and that was me so uh and sometimes and then when i took enough the the medications that were prescribed i was kind of numb i spent a lot of years just kind of not feeling not feeling joy and not feeling grief because i was kind of in this numb zone and uh I went, I had been meditating, this is interesting, because I'd been meditating since 1970, and on and off, and there were times when I felt good, and I was meditating, but then when I felt bad, I didn't meditate. So it wasn't until I went to uh, Kripalu Center in 19. 19- 80, sort of the 88, 89, and uh, experienced really the first yoga class. I had been doing yoga with Richard Hittleman records and a little bit, but I, I took a real yoga class um, and just loved it and came home with audio tapes because uh, at that time there weren't videotapes um, and, and no CDs yet and would practice daily with these little audio tapes and then go back to Kripalu. And 
after about nine months of daily practice, because I just loved it, um, I was feeling really abundant. I had more energy. I was started going to the gym a little bit and just, just you know, really feeling better. And I went to my psychiatrist, who was also my uh, therapist, whom I'd seen for a number of years, and I said, you know, I really feel good. I feel abundant. And I, 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 you know, I, I'm not sure I really need the medication anymore. And, of course, as a um, physician, she had, in her view, finally stabilized me on the medication, and it was working, and she was reluctant to titrate me off of it. Uh, and she saw me through that lens as someone that needed the medication and, in fact, told me. I would need that medication and uh, and need some medication for the rest of my life, along with telling me I would always have empty pockets. So I was feeling really abundant and full, and eventually it was difficult because of you know transference when you're seeing someone therapeutically. It's hard to make that break. I went to a friend's psychiatrist, and he saw me for few months and he said you know I don't really see you as a candidate for this medication and little by little we titrated me and I think this is real important never to go cold turkey off medication Um, and I can say more about that later but um, very slowly titrated me off the medication I continued to do my yoga practice and I that was 1989 and I haven't been on medication since. I manage my mood with my practice. It is my medicine. Mm. Uh and it's a it's something that I do daily that serves me and serves my heart and I became passionate after my own recovery from depression and then maintaining that recovery, sustaining my optimum mental health, I became passionate about sharing it with others. And so I became a yoga teacher in the early 90s and started writing articles about yoga and mental health because I had been a writer, or I guess I am a writer, not had been. And so that was natural for me to write about what was I was so passionate about and began teaching and serving. And it just sort of was an ocean wave that continues <laughs> on that wave of s- serving through the trainings I offer and the research that we do at the Life Force Yoga Healing Institute. So part of what I'm so struck by when in your first book, Yoga for Depression, you talk about how quickly, I mean, really after only your first class at Kripalu, you report uh-huh. already feeling, noticing, feeling much, oh, a little yeah. bit better. Well, which there's is, good biochemical reasons for that. Tell me what you mean by good biochemical Well, reasons. you know, um, research shows that after just one class, if you were to take cortisol levels, for example, the fight or flight, the stress hormone, cortisol is goes down. There's been several studies that show that. Uh, things like GABA and uh, BDNF, when that kind of biochemistry is low in the system, then it's often accompanied by depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder. And there are some good research that shows uh, that yoga can raise GABA levels, uh, BDNF factor. Let me just explain it, for a moment. So GABA is the calming neurotransmitter that helps people feel much more mm-hmm. calm. And BDNF actually helps us grow new neurons. And these are both things yeah. we know 
are associated yeah, with people exciting, especially it's for those incredible. of us who are getting older, you know, <laughs> growing new neurons. That's yeah, good. so after one class alone, it's been studied showing that both those two things will increase? Um, cortisol. Uh, I see cortisol yeah, all the time. The GABA levels, I, you'd have to look at Chris Streeter's study to see how often they were measured. Um, I know that uh, her study at Boston University, two, she's done two of them, I know that the cumulative result of yoga, I'm not sure about one class, although it may be, but also there's been some other markers. I mean, oxytocin and prolactin, you know, those feel-good hormones are increased generally in yoga, and those are those hugging hormones, those sort of feel-good <laughs> bonding hormones, and and that's, you know, that's why I, you know, I get lots of hugs after yoga class and I tell people, well, yeah, thank you. I thank you. I know it. I know you feel it from your heart, but, but also know that partly it's the, uh, the elevation of your feel good hormones. You know? Right. Right. Well, that's wonderful. I mean, so part of what I wanted to ask you, I've been polling my friends in preparation for this interview. What do you really want to know about yoga for depression? And mm-hmm. one of the themes that's emerged is, well, ask Amy whether she thinks it's primarily physiologic. What is the cause of yoga helping? Is it a biological reason? Is it an emotional reason? Or is it a spiritual reason? And they were really curious. And of oh, course, we, why well, we want to separate these things, I'm not sure, yeah, but I'd love to hear well, your thought about really that. That's a really good question. And in yoga... Um, uh, we don't separate because we yoga works on all the sheaths, all the koshas. Now, I'll explain that from a you know non-Sanskrit point of view. But all the koshas. So there's the, what the koshas are: is the physical body, the emotional body, the mental body, the breath body, which is actually second in the list, and then the bliss body. So all of those bodies are encasing us within it's kind of a yogic concept at all times so when we begin to affect the physiology we're also affecting the mental state the emotional state and what happens because okay first of all you could go to a yoga class and come out feeling worse because two things one is if you're going to a class where there's a big emphasis on perfecting the posture and getting it right and you come out feeling like ah oh, you know my body isn't quite right i'm not good enough everybody's better than me everyone else you can put their more... hands on the floor i can't reach my own toes those kind right, of things right right yes. you feel more constricted but if you are going to a yoga class where there's first of all a level of acceptance of where you are and there's an emphasis not so much on, I mean, it's important to be safe and to be in a pose in a way that keeps you safe. And, uh, and so you want to know basic alignment. But yeah, the imp- most important elements are that attention to sensation in the body as you're practicing and the attention to breath. Because if you're paying attention to sensation, the body is always present. The mind's a time traveler. So when you can pay attention to the sensation in your palms, your fingers, your hip, whatever, whatever's, uh, wherever you're feeling the sensation, there's a window through 
that depressive mood state. There's a window through whatever story you're telling yourself or about yourself or the world. You're in that moment in a state of union, yoga, um, completion. So paying attention to sensation and breath are really essential. What's happening is that physiologically we're affecting the body, we're stretching, we're bringing more oxygen, we're deepening the breath, we're increasing lung capacity. People who have are depressed usually have slumped shoulders, there's a kind of posture, and they're breathing from the upper chest, so there's a kind of posture that goes along with that. So physiologically we're reversing that, we're opening the chest, we're, you know, in backbending poses, we're encouraging deeper yogic breath that fills the lungs. So there's all of that happening physiologically. Then you're also clearing, we're clearing the space. So if you think of depression as visiting constriction, kind of constricting the emotional and mental body, when you're using breath and using a, that attention to sensation, you're creating a clear space. You're removing the obstacles in that moment. So you get a little window into just being present in the moment without that story, without that, you know, heavy feeling of depression. And, you know, as we do some of the practices that we'll do later, you'll get a felt sense of that clear space. And these are practices that don't even, many of them don't even require a yoga mat, but they're ancient, ancient practices, timeless practices, really, that, that can be done anywhere in and, you know, if you're feeling overwhelmed in your office and or you're feeling at home, you know, and you don't have space to roll out your yoga mat, there are things that you can do to clear the space so that you're not creating energy, but you're clearing away some of those constrictions, including the constriction of the mood of depression. So even if it's a momentary clearing, you have that window into a moment of presence where there's, you know, the depression just isn't there. So I was struck in the beginning, Amy, you said that when you were feeling down, you didn't meditate. You used to meditate. When you felt good, you meditated. When you didn't, you didn't. I probably recommend yoga to, you know, at least half of the people I work with that have depression. Mm -hmm. And what they all tell me is, I know it would help me. I just feel so low. I have no energy. I can't get myself to do it. Exactly. And how do you help with that? How do you help getting people to start? Because it sounds like even after one class, they might start feeling better, but this getting over that initial hump is a huge Uh, challenge. Exactly true. That's why I do two things, a couple of ways. First of all, Meet yourself where you are. Don't go to an Ashtanga yoga class with, you know, 10 Series A sun salutations. You're going to feel good after that class, but that's not going to, you're not going to be able to do that every day if you're depressed. So how do you get yourself, if you're a couch potato and you can't get off the couch when the remote dies, you're not going to roll out a yoga mat and do 10 sun salutations. 
What you're going to do, though, what you can do, though, is something like breath of joy. You have, let's say you have trouble getting out of bed in the morning. You have to get up to pee. So you can commit to doing three breaths of joy. I think it's in both my books, and it's also on the Level 1 DVD. Is it something um, you could teach me to do now? We have to stand up. Okay. Okay? Yep. So, so we're going to... So first of all, it's like you're conducting an orchestra. So your hands are going to come forward in front of your chest, in, as you, both of them together, as you inhale up, and then inhale out to the side a little higher, and then inhale all the way up over your head. So it's three inhalations and one exhalation with a big ha, ha. So it looks, so it sounds like this: inhale, 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 ha. And when you come forward with that ha, what I like to do is come into what we call chair pose, ukatasana. So instead of just hanging forward, we're coming with the knees bent, the chest lifted. It's kind of a squatting position with knees about hip width apart and the arms back like you're about to dive off a diving board. Okay? I said, do, so you swing, do, no, do you swing your arms down forcefully when you go ha? Yes. I see. So they're above your. So you've brought them in front of you. You've brought them out to the side. You've brought them above your head, and then you swing them back, and and you go ha, ha. Yeah. Okay. So let's let's try that. You want to try it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Inhale forward. Inhale to the side. Inhale up. Exhale. Ha. Into a squatting position. We'll do it a few more times. Inhale forward. Inhale to the side. Inhale up. Exhale. Ha. Inhale forward, inhale to the side, inhale up, exhale, ha, big breath in, big breath in, big breath in, exhale, ha. One more time, inhale up, inhale to the side, inhale up overhead, exhale, ha. And then stand up and close your eyes for a moment and open your palms and just feel the energy that you're awakening in your face, your arms, the palms of your hands. This is your life force. We're not creating this energy. We're clearing the space so that your own healing energy can lift and shine. Sense into your palm. Sense that energy in your palm shimmering. This is your birthright, this energy. And as you're ready, you can allow your eyes to open. And <sighs> How do you feel? I feel great. I have this really big grin on my face, and I can't tell if it's because the, what we just did made me feel great or if it was just such a thrill to be doing yoga on the radio. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm well, not here's quite the sure. Deal. Here's the deal. If you just did three of those, if let's say you were like couldn't get out of bed, except, you know, you have to go to the bathroom. So you come back and then you do three of those. That's all you do. And then you may have enough energy where you just aren't going to get back in bed. So you're going to begin maybe, or maybe you can do a little stretching, or you'll get back in bed with more energy, more more flow of energy. So you're, you're able then to start planning your day. So I say baby steps. I have a CD called Breathe to Beat the Blues, and a lot of my clients will put that CD on, on, they have it on their iPod, and they'll have it right next to their bed, 
and they'll just start breathing with it right in bed, and that kind of gets them up and going. So starting small, you know, not feeling like I have to go and roll out a mat and do an hour and a half of yoga every day. It may be five minutes that you didn't do yesterday. That five minutes might be enough to clear the space, to give you enough energy to really get a good start. And the best time to do this is like just before you eat breakfast, you know, just do a few little rounds of something to clear the space, like we just did, Breath of Joy, and there's so many, you know, in, in, in both books there are a number of practices, particularly in the newest one, Yoga Skills for Therapists, lots of pictures, lots of practices that clear the space. That's so wonderful, because, you know, reading your work, you say, you talk about three elements of yoga that are important. You talk about tapas, mm-hmm. tapas, which is this tapas, sort of yeah. will and discipline, you talk about self-study, mm-hmm. and you talk about surrender. And I want to talk about all three, but when I read the first one, the sort of will and discipline, I felt worried because I thought, oh, that's just so hard to summon up. But I feel like you've helped me feel much more hopeful that people who are depressed can, can begin to do this. And it sort of feeds itself. It sounds like the, even the little you do will help you do more. Absolutely. And the thing is that top us for one person who's, you know, who may not be depressed, may be the, doing an Ashtanga class and uh, or uh, power yoga or you know doing a full two hours of yoga practice tapas for someone else who is new to yoga or for whom depression is visiting maybe simply rolling out a mat and getting down and doing child pose that may be her tapas. And then beginning maybe a little bit of breathing, maybe a little bit of cat-cow to just begin to move the energy in the spine. That may be her tapas. So we're not talking about a commitment necessarily to an hour and a half a day. Saying Just commit to a, cup, a breathing practice. Maybe two or three minutes can clear enough space that you're going to then feel like, well, maybe I can do a little more. Mm. But all you've committed to is that first two or three minutes. And use tools. You know, when I was depressed and I started doing yoga, I, uh, you know, I had those audio CDs that I used when I was at home. And then, and then years later, I was still teaching. I was when I became a teacher and writing about yoga. Once in a while, I get up and I just have that logy feeling, like I just don't want to get out of bed, or there's some, you know, maybe something was uh, hanging around. I mean, I, you know, I. I still have moods, and now I can sort of observe them and watch them and say, oh, Amy, what a big heart you have that you can feel. In fact, I feel more now than I did when I was on medication and numbed out. So I have moods, but but they don't pull me down. But what happens is, is that I'm able to simply observe those moods and and not get fused with those mood states to see, oh, okay, depression is visiting. And I can amend my practice every day to uh, meet my current mood and bring it into balance. Well, so let me ask you about the second thing then about self-study and self-awareness, because maybe that's what you're just saying about you might have a mood, but you're sort of not identified with your mood. Is that what you mean when you say that that yoga helps with self-study? Tell me more what you mean by that. Well, there are three 
pillars, as, as you pointed out, of yogic practice, tapa, swajaya, ishwara, pranidana, kriya, yoga. And tapas, as we've said, is just that commitment. It can be a really tiny one. And then the self-study is really beginning to observe yourself as you're practicing. So, for example, that's why I was saying, talking earlier about just really tuning into sensation as you're practicing, mm. really noticing the sensation, stopping, pausing. And when we do practices, if you notice, when we just did the, the breath of joy practice, we didn't just, I didn't just say, okay, open your eyes. I said, sense into your, fa- your hands, your fingers, sense into, you know, I, I cued you to stay present to sensation after we practiced. And what that is, is that's cultivating that self-awareness, that self-observation. So you're less reactive. Um, you can obs- you begin to observe what's arising in the emotional body, the physical body, the mental body, and with with more of a responsive attitude to it, less less fusion with that mood state, and more of an observing mind. And that's the witness. That's the seer. That's self study. That's that self awareness that grows with yoga practice just as it does with meditation and when you you brought up the the earlier that um you know when i was depressed i couldn't you you mentioned that i said that that when i was depressed i couldn't meditate and that's true for a lot of people um but there are ways in which we can meditate even when we're depressed and a lot of what i teach are ways that i call giving the mind a bone giving the mind something to do other than simply watching the breath. Mindfulness is wonderful. I have a mindfulness practice. But when someone is depressed, there's a lot of rumination, a lot of negative self-talk. And if you simply watch the breath, especially for a new practitioner, then you can get sucked into that negative spiral of self-talk. And what um, the yogis have given us uh, in a lot of tantric practices are a number of meditation techniques that give the mind a bone with mantra, mudra. Yeah, so let's explain those words, Amy. So mantra meaning... Mantra would be sound. I don't do any teaching that doesn't include tone, sound, um, and I'm not talking about mantra chanting to deities. This is not, mm, it's not devotional practice. I'm talking about the sounds that actually uh, vibrate the, our whole system. And they're very healing and really enhance the practice of yoga. That's what we do in Life Force Yoga is use a lot of tones, a lot of sounds, a lot of mantras. And they are universal sounds that come from Sanskrit, but they are found in every language and um, very healing tones. And we can practice some of those as we, you know, move along. And then mudra are hand gestures. And uh, as you know, there are more nerve endings in the fingers than most other parts of the body. In fact, there's a neuroscientist named Kelly Lambert who wrote a book on depression. And her her theory is that we were 
um, genetically programmed to use our hands for tilling and hunting and gathering and sewing and cooking and churning butter and all of that. And most of us, unless we're gardeners or we're potters, aren't using our hands in the ways that give us the same kind of gratification and feed the brain, you know, get those neurons firing because of the, um, the finger motion. So mudras are an excellent way of working with mood states, and they're, they're subtle. So, you know, pranayama, breathing practices, mudras. So there are many ways to give the mind a bone, to settle it down, and then mindfulness can naturally arise. But there are ways of, uh, they create a portal in, a doorway in to meditation. I have to say, Amy, that is so fascinating to me, this idea that we evolved to use our hands in certain ways. Our hands are laden with nerve endings, so there's, there's our nervous system. And that mm-hmm. actually using our hands more can be connected to our mood and our brain. That is fascinating. Yeah, it is. Yes, I know somebody who feels like his depression lifted when he began gardening. But I never thought of that as a form of mudra and that hand positions could actually affect mood. So let's make sure we do some of that because I'm a yogi, but I never did any mudras that I'm aware of. So I'd love Mm. to learn that. Well, there are a lot in the new book, The uh, Yoga Skills for Therapists. And we're going to move. I know you have to move to put a headset on when we do more practice. But before that, I want to ask you one last talk question. Mm-hmm. which is about the last the last part, surrender. Just tell me a little bit about, surrender is a very loaded word. What does that mean for you in yoga? Well, it's, it's surrender in this case, when we're practicing, when we have a little bit of will, just a little bit to get us to the mat or to get us to the cushion or to get us going and a little bit of self-awareness developing, then what arises is kind of a surrender to all that's, highest within us, to our own true nature. So it's not about surrendering to anything outside, but a surrender to our um, our wholeness, who we really are beneath the mood, beneath the story, beneath the social mask. It's that kind of surrender that we're talking about. And that's what creates that clear space, that that uh, potential for for healing energy to move through. And what if someone depressed doesn't have a sense of what you're talking about, Amy? That you know, when you say doesn't have a sense of what of the sort of what's whole and the highest you know sense of themselves oh, inside. Well, they might not. But right. when they, they, but I. I can tell you that when we do a couple of these practices together that we're going to do in the next half hour or so, um, there's going to be a spaciousness, a clear space. And you can call that prana, you can call that energy, you can call that higher self, you can call that divine, as you know the divine. You can call it whatever you want, but it's going to be something that is um, clearer within. It's more spacious, more abundant. And so it doesn't have to have a name that that someone's going to reject. I mean, some, you know, that's, that's right. it's just a felt sense, visceral. So, so I have that, say, I get that. I have that felt sense. And what does it mean to surrender to it? Um, to simply be present, to simply know that this is truly who I am 
beneath the mood. This is truly who I am beneath whatever uh-huh. mood state is visiting, uh-huh. that there is this spaciousness, whatever you want to call it. So that's that surrender, that that being present, that moment of presence. It's wonderful. Okay, so I know, Amy, you need to to move phones to get a headset yeah. on. So why don't you go ahead and start doing that? Um, okay. This is going to be, so we're ha- today we have uh, a, a special chance, which is to have a second half hour to actually practice some of these things that Amy Weintraub is telling me about to help with mood. And we're going to do some exercises. We're going to do some breathing. We're going to do some mudras. How will you start us, Amy? What, we've talked about mudras. We've talked about sound. We've talked about breath. Mm-hmm. What would you, how should we begin? Well, I would say let's clear a little space because I've been talking about, you know, the spaciousness, the, you know, that, that in which when you experience it, you have the sense that um, you're less gripped by whatever mood is visiting, particularly depression. So let's clear a little space with a very mild and uh, calm, version of what what's called bellows breath, very mild. So we're going to do one breath per second. Now we're also going to use our arms. So what we're going to do is bring our fists in position by our shoulders, the knuckles face out. And we're going to relax the shoulders down. And we're only going to do this one breath per second. More than that can be too stimulating, especially in the evening. So just one breath per second. We're going to be inhaling and lifting through the nostrils and lifting our arms straight up in the air. And if you have shoulder issues and that doesn't feel good, it's fine to press, bring your arms forward and back rather than up and down. And then we'll be inhaling, bring the arms up, exhaling down. And we'll do that maybe 20 times. And then we're going to use a very calming mudra hand gesture. We're going to take the thumbs and wrap the fingers around our thumbs and ground with the knuckles face down and ground them on our thighs or on the floor or wherever we happen to be. So we're going to be sitting for this. We're starting sitting. So you can place your, you know, if you're sitting cross-legged, you can place your, uh, the, the knuckles face down on the thigh. So fists in position, belly soft, Face soft, and we'll begin with the nostrils, through the nostrils, inhale the arms up, exhale down. Inhale up, exhale down. Inhale up, exhale down, inhale up, exhale down. Inhale up, exhale down. Inhale up, exhale down. Big breath in, big breath out. 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 Big breath in and hold the breath for a moment. And then exhale three times through the mouth, lowering your arms with each one. Bring your hands down to your thighs or the floor, navel to spine. Hold the breath out for a moment. And with the breath held out, lift your torso up. 
And then take a nice integrating breath, inhaling in and exhaling out, belly soft. And then on your next breath in, take about two-thirds. Don't fill completely. Two-thirds capacity. Inhale. And use that Adi Mudra, that baby's fist. So thumbs are tucked, fingers are wrapped around, and the knuckles are face down. And sustain the breath to your body's call. So when the body says, let me go, let the breath go, just respond to that call. Listening to your body. Sustaining the breath. And then soft belly, palms open, receptive, face soft. Receive the clear space you are. Receive the grace of your practice. Take a moment with eyes closed, belly soft, face soft, to sense deeply into your face, your shoulders, your arms, the palms of your hands. Feel energy shimmering in the palms. Left palm, right palm, both palms together. The body is always present. Belly soft, face soft. Inhale to the crown. I am Exhale into your sits bones here, grounded. Inhale, I am to the crown. Exhale to the sits bones here, grounded. Belly soft. And as you're ready, you can allow your eyes to open. You've just cleared a little more space. You've Sort of open the channels. And from this place, let your breath find you, your own natural breath. And maybe there's an intention that finds you too. Let your eyes close again. And for a moment, just breathe and find that breath. See if you can breathe down to the bottom of your lungs. If you know a yogic three-part breath, you can use it. But if you don't know it, don't worry about it. Just breathe down to the bottom of your lungs. Maybe feel the belly expand. And then exhale, draw the navel back and up. Your own rhythm of breath. Maybe a light ocean sound, like a wave over pebbles. You might want to envision your favorite pebbly beach. Riding the waves of your breath home to who you are inside. Beneath mood and professional mask, home to the ground of your being where you are intimately, eternally connected. And from this Source of your wholeness, allow a heartfelt prayer to arise. What's the burning bush in your heart? Why are you here in this moment, in this lifetime? And if nothing arises, 
leave the space open to receive intention so that your heart's will aligns with the heart and the will of the universe. And with love and acceptance for where you are, no judgment about it, if you feel comfortable, take this moment to chant Om with me or just listen to the sound as it vibrates through this fluid body. If you chant it, it will. Inhale. And feeling the resonance of that tone vibrating, almost like a pebble thrown into a still pond through the 80% of you or so that's fluid. And when you're ready, you can allow your eyes to open Inhale, exhale, drop your chin to your chest, lift the corners of your mouth, you know what that means. Inhale, lift your head, exhale, open your eyes. And if this were our yoga class, we would weave whatever intention that you found, your own that that prayer in your heart, the burning bush in your heart through every practice that we do for the next whatever time we have left. But I just, before we move on, I'd just love to check in to see how you're doing. I'm aware of heat, well, this warmth in my body. Mm. And I'm aware of, it's sort of this paradox in a way, there's this heat which feels like movement and energy but there's also this very quiet stillness at the same time that's beautiful what you just said Anne, and i i you know believe me i didn't script this but it's just it's indicative of what yoga does that breath that we did the like the bellows breath that actually stimulates the sympathetic nervous system however if we took our vital signs after we finished the breathing practice, it would be below the resting rate. So the parasympathetic kicks in. So we're 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 creating that um, heart rate variability. We're just what we're doing when we practice is we're bringing everything into balance. We feel both what you expressed of that awareness of heat and energy and yet a calm feeling, a centered feeling. That's the beauty of these practices. Now, tell me a little bit about the idea of this intention or the prayer in your heart, as you called it. I'm I'm not so familiar with that, and I, I can imagine for some people, you, they could get a little squirrely about the sort of spiritual language of that. And I'm mm-hmm. curious how... It's called a sankalpa. And it's simply an intention. It can be for your practice today. I want, you know, I want to be clear and I want to be, I want more energy or something like that. Or it can be something that would be more from the heart. You know, I I, I want to breathe more uh, focus into my life or I want to breathe more love into my life or more self-care or self-acceptance. And I really believe that um, in terms of yoga for mental health especially, 
that it's very important to set an intention. And if you can't come up with one, because sometimes the mind is too busy, too much going on, chatter, 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 then just the idea that if you leave the space open, the intention will come to you. It, you know, the intention will find you. That you'll align your practice with the will of the universe. And if you don't believe in the will of the universe, that's okay too. You're just going to clear more space. So you can, you know, whatever doesn't work for you, drop it. You don't need it. Just take what meets you where you are and let it inform you, moving you into balance. That's the whole point, creating balance. We call it sattva. So if you're, you're, uh, you've got an anxiety-based depression and you're revved up and you, you know mind's going a mile a minute, which is a, a lot of depression doesn't show up as just lethargy. It shows up as anxiety as well. As you know, it's you know, co-occurring 80% of the time, anxiety and depression. So... You know, whatever, you know, find the practice that meets you where you are and brings you into balance. And how, and you write about that. You write about how certain breathing practices are calming and certain breathing practices are energizing. mm -hmm. How does a person Mm -hmm. know where to meet themselves? I mean, if they know, okay, I'm really anxious, would they just look for some of the more calming breaths or do they meet themselves in a more energetic mm, breath and then move toward That's a great calm? question. Um, you know, I, I don't, I, just a quick little anecdote. I took, brought my daughter who's type A, was like very um, anxious. She was editing a film. She lives in New York. She came to a yoga class with me in uh, Tucson and the teacher started with uh, a restorative practice of lying on the back with an eye, ba- eye pillow, and she was lofting wa- lavender around and, <laughs> and uh, giving little shoulder massages. And uh, my daughter and I were lo- lying side by side, and all of a sudden I heard my friend, the teacher, Maria, say, I have never seen anyone text in a yoga class before. <laughs> that was my... T- that was my daughter. She needed she needed a much more active practice to burn all, even though she was anxious, she needed to burn off some of that anxiety before she could just relax. Yeah. You know, she was going nuts sitting there yes. lying there. So so um yes, it's about meeting the mood and bringing it into balance. Yes, those those calming practices that Bo will describe are great, but we need to burn off a little bit first. And so for example, um you know, doing a sun salutation or two or doing stair step I can't, I have a breath in the book called stair step breath it's also on one of my site CDs but it's it's actually it's got a yogic name anuloma and viloma um krama but it's it meets it can meet both anxiety and depression so if let's say you're really kind of have an anxious depression which a lot of us do yes why don't you, know, you teach me let's do it okay so let's do it so let's so again you could be seated or lying down for this and I'm going to include in this a visual image um, and maybe even a sound, a mantra, okay? Okay, and so just to let you know, we, we have about 10 minutes, so we just have to make okay. sure we Okay, so this will be, time. I guess, our last practice. So you okay. can do this lying down or seated. Great. So, um, so we're going to take little steps of breath, like we're climbing a mountain through the nostrils. So with me, your eyes can be closed, little steps of breath. <laughs> 
and hold, sustain the breath when you get to the top and just bring into your heart's mind an image that makes you smile or just the just Okay, and I actually didn't under, understand the instruction. Those little breath sounds you were making, were those all mm-hmm. inhalations? Is it step, step, step? They were step? all inhalations. Ah, okay. So little you, steps of breath. Of inhalation in. so breath. Little okay. sniffs all the way as though you're, you, so you're filling with little sniffs. So okay. that's what that's doing actually is meeting the more anxious, shorter breath mood. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. So, so let's take it. Let's try it again. We're, and then when we get to the top, if it's comfortable, just sustain the breath and bring in an image that's peaceful or serene. Or if you don't have an image, just the word peace or joy. So, like little steps of breath, so little sniffs through the nostrils. And hold when you get to the top and see that soothing image or think the word peace or joy. And then slide down. Let the breath out slowly. And then again, little steps up. And hold when you get to the top and just See something that is calming and serene or a peaceful word and slide the breath out. And this time we're going to take an elevator ride, a long, smooth breath in all the way up. And again, look out and see something that just soothes your heart, nourishes your spirit. Word and little steps down, so you're going to be blowing the breath out through the nostrils. Notice what's happening in your belly. This is beginning to activate the solar plexus, the seat of self esteem, power, and identity. Again, a smooth breath in. When you get to that top, look out and just imagine something that nourishes your heart. Maybe a face, a place in nature, beloved four-legged, and then little steps down through the nostrils, blowing the breath out. Again, notice what's happening in the belly. So... This is a little more activating for someone who might be depressed. And now this time, let's take little steps up and sustain the breath when you get to the top. And again, look out and see something that just lights you up inside or a word that's soothing and little steps down. Again, this is more activating. Notice the belly. This is a seed of basic self-esteem. And when, we, when we're depressed, it's, there's a kind of dormancy here. So we're waking up that place. And again, this time, little steps up. And look out and see something beautiful, something serene. And little steps down. Blowing the breath out through the nostrils. Beautiful. And little steps up. 
look out and see something that meets you where you are and says yes to you. And slide the breath out. Long exhalation. And one more time, little steps up. And sustain the breath. Look out, see something that just makes your heart smile and let's use so hum to release the breath so hum it means I am that and why don't we do that one more time little steps up and sustain Sustain the breath and look out and see something that just says, yes, here I am at the top of the mountain, ready. Let's use so hum. So hum, I am that. Inhale to the crown, I am. Exhale the sits bones or the feet here. I am here, ready. And as you're ready, you can allow your eyes to open, belly soft. So that practice can meet both a depressed and an anxious mood. If you're depressed, you'd want to do a few more of the practice of the sniffs out, the exhalation, which actually gives you a mild kriya practice, a cleansing practice at the belly, which is more energizing and likely more stimulating to the sympathetic nervous system. If you're um If you're anxious, you'd want to emphasize the exhalation. Longer exhalation is calming to the central nervous system. It it stimulates the parasympathetic nervous system, the calming system of the body. And so what should result is a calm state. And we used sound. We used the mantra, so hum, which means I am that. And we used uh, imagery, bhavana, visualization. I don't like to give visual images to people. I'd like to, I want to empower them to find their own images. And then there are people who don't find images, so to give permission to to find a word um, instead. So I love what you, I love what you said in the book about you don't ever say find a safe place because for people who have trauma that's can trigger so impossible, but it just find somewhere peaceful or serene. And then you said even an image of a four-legged face. Yeah, that feels so yeah. helpful. It feels possible. Yeah, it really does give a little window of possibility. And you know, I don't. When I'm teaching, I never use the word safe because for some people, it feels like there is no safe space. The mind's going to reject that. Yeah. Um, so and for good reason because of maybe their personal histories and and so I talk about an image that's soothing or serene or a time a time when you felt calm or a place where you could imagine feeling calm. 
Amy, we are going to have to stop, but that feels like the perfect ending, (laughs) speaking Mm -hmm. about serenity and calm. I want to thank you so much for being my guest. I feel like I benefited so much while doing this. I learned and I got to practice. Thank you for your generosity. And I do trainings for, you know, mental health professionals and health professionals that to teach these practices to that can be woven into clinical settings and healthcare settings. It's wonderful to know. And if people are interested, they should go to your website, right? At www.yogafordepression.com. Absolutely. Is that where life force yoga trainings can also be found? Yes. There's a training page and there's, you know, lots of information there. And there's, there's practice. There's some free practices too that you can download, um, on the, about yoga for anxiety and about yoga for trauma on the, under the about section. And Amy, thank you so much for being my guest. This it's been is, my pleasure. It's been fun, Anne. Yes, me too. This is Dr. Anne. I've been speaking with Amy Weintraub, author of Yoga for Depression and Yoga Skills for Therapists, about her practice, Life Force Yoga for Depression. I want to thank Jen Hodgson for mixing the sound tonight. Jen not only wore the headphones and manipulated the buttons on the soundboard, but she was doing that yoga with me. We're looking at each other through the window. It was beautiful. <laughs> Maurice Lennon, thank you for the music. Coming up next week is Michael Lee talking about yoga therapy in the week following Dave Emerson on Yoga for PTSD.